Testing, testing. There we go. Okay. All right. Good morning. Yeah, I got to do it again. You're going to notice there was a big old gap of people. There's a, a, a group, a big group at, at Gatlinburg. Terry and Paul are driving, so we need to pray for them. But they also had a great weekend, as I understand it, from the youth rally. They made their way to Kingston, Tennessee, and dropped in on a, a, a congregation and just kind of had a neat experience. That congregation then called and said, we want to provide lunch for you. So that's, that's what you need to do. When you go on a trip or something, let them know you're coming. Let them do a whole potluck just for you when you come. So they're on their way back uh, and just be praying for their safety. But that's that explains why there's a big old gap of people. And But we're grateful that you're here. And if you haven't made your pictures made yet, hadn't had your pictures made yet, there's a couple of days still left. And I, I got on to some people at the early service because they, they said, I have no intention of um, taking a picture because I look the same as I did six years ago, Shirley Smith. I said, no, you don't. But anyway, so I didn't win any brownie points. There, but, but I noticed this. Brandy Wydick was telling me, she said, man, you don't realize when you get in here how, how, how much you end up liking those pictures and you spend too much on it. She said, our offering for the next month is going to Life Touch. And, and she said, um, we got the whole thing, the touch-up thing, and she got him back and, 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 and he looked like Brad Pitt. I mean, that worked for him. So, I mean, if you want that, I mean, pay for that upgrade, man. That could really benefit you uh, some. Matthew chapter 13, in just a second. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. By the way, in case you forgot, what that was in the sky on your way to church this morning was the sun, right? You surely have been praying for that. Matthew chapter 13, read beautifully just a moment ago. We're going to be talking about this parable as we go through the morning, but it's... I, I want to warn you against just sitting there listening, thinking, am I getting anything out of the sermon or not? What do I evaluate this sermon on? Because you have a job to do as we read this parable. Your job as you read it is to identify which one are you. That's your task as you go through the parable this morning. It is not some passive activity. You're not a spectator. You're a participant as we go through this because you are to identify a couple of things. Where am I? Which one of these soils is me? And then we're going to look at the challenges as you progress through all the soils. We are, we are all of us as we go through life. We are all the soils. We are all of them, and we're moving all the way through to the final one. Where are you, and what are the obstacles that are challenging you to stop where you are? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. You, you are not to identify other people. Don't come up and say, well, my neighbor's a no-count guy. He's one of these that never, you know, he's not even the first kind of soil. I don't care about your neighbor, right? Oh, I mean, I do care about your neighbor. That's terrible for a preacher to say that. Don't worry about identifying other people. Find yourself. Figure out where you are as we go through this parable. And, and a couple other things to remember is this. Number one is, uh, wherever you are in this parable, you cannot blame it on the sower. 
A lot of people say, well, you know, somebody didn't teach me right, or church didn't have the right kind of sermons, didn't nurture me right. Listen, once the, once the seed is in you, it's your responsibility to let it grow and germinate. Don't point the finger at the sower. In fact, those of you who have a Bible that says parable of the sower, that's a terrible title. When you look at the interpretation, Jesus goes on later in the chapter to explain what this parable is. We don't even know who the sower is. He doesn't explain who the sower is. It's immaterial to the parable because it's not the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the soil. There's a big difference. So you can't point a finger at, oh, my grandma didn't teach me right or my church didn't teach me. You can't do that. Second is you can't point a finger, whatever soil you are, and blame the seed. This is not a seed malfunction. The seed is perfectly capable of producing exactly what the Word says because God says, my Word never goes out and comes back void. It always accomplishes what it can or what it should or what I designed for it. So don't point a finger at the sower or don't point the finger at the seed. The only person to look at is the soil, which is your heart. So raise your hand if you've ever heard the Word of God. Raise your hand. It's everybody in here, okay? So you're all at least, uh, you're all in this parable. There are some people who have not heard the Word, and that's a sad thing. That's why we have missionaries. That's why you live next to who you live by, because we are responsible for getting that seed out there for the people we have opportunity for. But those people are not in this parable. The parable is for anyone who's ever heard it before. Now, I'm going to do a law, uh, break a law of preaching here. I'm going to switch images because we've got this agricultural image going on. I'm going to change it to baseball. Because why? Because I'm the preacher and I can. And because it's spring training. Baseball is back, y'all. And that's something to celebrate. Even Cubs fans. And I even met one this morning who was a Braves fan who's among us. You can be here. We love you anyway. And Cardinals won 11 to 1 in the first one. Anyway, so we're going to turn this to a baseball analogy. And the first base that you can reach, we're going to turn this to bases. And the first base you can reach is the word here. It's supposed to be on one line, but, you know, you can just kind of imagine it. Here. When you hear the Word of God, your life with God starts. It's the first base. It's the most elementary thing. You've got to hear before you can do anything else. Some people uh, maybe hear a distorted version of it and don't hear it correctly. Some people may not hear it at all, but they're not in this parable. In this parable, anyone who's ever heard the Word of God, it's in you now. It's available to you, and now it's your responsibility. Hearing is a weird thing. You ever been through the five steps of salvation? You've preached this with people, right? You've heard this all your life, and here they are. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And, and then we add a sixth one, you know, be faithful. But, but these are the steps to salvation, right? And I've always wondered why here is one of the steps. It, I think it's weird. How is it a step? Just to hear it is, to, is a step. But the New Testament does stress hearing. Listen to this verse. Faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing from the Word of God or through the Word of God. And so there's no question how important hearing is. You've got to be able to hear it to get to first base. In order to get home, you've got to hear it. In order to even enter the life of God, you can be able to hear the Word of God. It is a first step, but it's not sufficient. There's so many people, as long as I go to church and I hear it, I can walk out and live any way I want to. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Jesus says it this way. The person who hears my word but does not do it builds his house upon the sand. Right? Whenever the storms come, and they will. 
hearing is not enough, but it is essential. You cannot proceed in the life of God without hearing. This is why our sound system, we spend money on it. We want you to hear it when you're here. This is why if you have hearing difficulties, there's these mechanisms over there. You put in your ear and you can hear it. We do stress the importance of being able to hear. It is incredibly important in the New Testament. But it's not just enough. But it is essential, and it reaches second base through hearing. Second base is understand. It's to understand what you hear. It's to process. I grasp. We call it this way. I should have made it fewer letters so you could put it in one line. C, right? When you hear something, and you process it enough, and you grasp it in your mind, you go, ah, oh, now I see. You ever done that? We're working with algebra with your seventh grader. I don't get this. I don't get this. And then you work, oh. Now I see. That's what it means. That's what understanding means. You've reached second base when you can go, you know what? I understand what I heard. I mean, I really processed this. But there's 90 feet of distance between first and second. And reaching that understanding after hearing is not an automatic thing. We can get careless and get picked off at of first. We can slow down and think we got it made and get nailed at second, never really get the understanding. We've got to be able to hear something, but also really process it in our minds. Why? Because we hear lots of things every day, and we can't pay attention to them all. We can't give undivided attention to everything we hear. Some news stories we don't care about on the news, and we just kind of let them go. Some songs we don't want to hear, we just let them go, right? We don't really process everything we hear because we can't. Mama know this is true. Wives know this is true of husbands. It's called selective hearing. They hear, but they don't hear. You know the difference? It's the same word. They hear, but they don't really listen, right? If he's watching something or reading something, you need to make sure he sees your lips move, right? Because he's not going to hear it. And, and mamas know this about their kids. Obstinate listening. They heard you say, take out the trash. They just didn't want to, and so they act like they didn't hear it. This is a real thing. We all know it is. And then there's this sense of indifference. I hear things I don't care about, and all day long I can't give undivided attention to everything I hear. There's so much air pollution, noise pollution. It's an interesting thing that we, uh, we can practice this more than we ever have thought possible. How many of you have Alexa or Google at your house? By the way, we do have an Alexa with us. Alexa Blankenship's over here. Maria has been coming as a college student. And Alexa is one of these wonderful people you got to know. So don't, don't leave without saying, Alexa, where are you? You know, and she'll say, eh, I'm over here. But if you have Alexa at home or a Google at home or whatever those other devices are, the neat thing is if you want to skip this song because it's just a bummer of a song, you can say, hey, Google, skip that song. It skips. So I'm, when I'm cleaning the kitchen, my favorite thing to do is, hey, hey, Google, let me hear some Don Williams. Now, I know a lot of you are going to be like, why? Hey, you, you use your music at your house. I'll use my music at mine, okay? And if it's Ronnie Millsap or Don Williams, leave me alone. And so they'll, uh, it'll mostly play Don Williams, and then it'll throw some weird guy in there I've never heard. Hey, skip that song, and you skip it. You don't have to hear anything you don't want to. It's a wonderful thing. My friend who preaches at Bernie has one of these, and he had some people visiting. Keith Parker, some of you may remember him. He's held a gospel meeting here before. He's got a son named Pete. 
He's in a wheelchair, and he just kind of <coughs> bellows out stuff every once in a while. You understand it, and it's the most precious thing in the world, even while he's preaching. But they were at his house, and he has an Alexa, and he wanted to listen to music, and he likes Don Williams, and he likes John Denver. But when Elvis comes on, he can't stand Elvis. And he says, Alexa, skip Elvis. Skips Elvis and goes right on to whatever he wants. He said, Dad, we got to get one of those at home. And so he gets home to Nashville, Tennessee, and he gets one. And he just listens to music all the time. And he bops away. And then when he hits something he doesn't like, he just says, skip it. Well, this is a dangerous thing because when Keith Parker was in his next gospel meeting, as he was about ready to preach, they were singing the last song. And Pete had never heard this song, and he didn't like it. And as the congregation was singing, there was a rest in the song where you take a good breath to finish the rest of it. And in the middle of the silence, all you heard was Pete going, Alexa, skip that song. I would love it. Hey, Mitchell, skip that song. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You can just not listen to what you don't want to mess with. Your mind doesn't want to hear this. There's a lot of people who, while they hear the Word of God, you know what? They just don't really care that much about it. They don't want to grapple with it. They don't want to understand it. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not quick. So I'm just not going to... If we had a, a lecture here at 2 o'clock this afternoon and, and I could lecture a whole hour on how the motor of your car works, how many of you would come? Nobody would. Now, most of you have no idea how your motor works, and frankly, you don't care. Get me from point A into point B. I don't care. You can explain all this. You ever go to a mechanic who explains everything? I don't care. You fix it. I don't care about knowing this. And it's true. What are some things that prevent you from understanding once you hear? One of them would be this. And this is a, I see a couple of passages on the next screen. I want to put them together. First one is, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul uh, gives Timothy a, a bunch of analogies. And then at the end of it, he says, think over or reflect on what I say, and the Lord will give you insight or understanding and everything. He just wrote him six verses, and the seventh verse, he says, keep reflecting on this, and the Lord will give you insight in what I'm saying. It's not like once you read it, well, let's, you know, let's throw it away and forget about it and go, no. He says, you got to keep, I want you to keep reading this, Timothy, but I don't want you just to read it. I want you to grapple with it. I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about your life and what I've just said, and I want you to make it mesh. I want you to understand this, Timothy, and it's going to take more than just one reading or one sermon or one hearing of this. It's going to take you reflecting. The Bible is a piece of literature. It's called the book of books. That's what Bible means, book of books. It becomes scripture when you put it in your heart. It's not enough, church, to have a Bible. You've got to make it become scripture. Your script for life. The gap between first and second, we keep the Bible as a Bible. Oh, that's interesting. I read it. I did my, my chapter today. And I go on. And I don't think another thing of it. I don't grapple with it. I don't. You've got to reflect on it. You cannot make Scripture come alive and come to a point of understanding without grappling with it. For instance, in 2 Peter, this is what Peter says about Paul. Come down here. The Lord uh, of our Lord is salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you, according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters there are some things in them that are what 
Yeah, there's some stuff in there, y'all, that's hard to get. But as a believer, you grapple with it. You reflect on it. You wrestle with it. And like the disciples who did not get the understanding of this parable, they come up to Jesus and say, would you explain this to me? We don't always understand it ourselves, so we come together as community and we try to understand it and grapple with it together. You must do this to reach second. Don't just hear and then go live your life any way you want to. You hear and you grapple with it till you reach second. And you say, I understand this. But you've got to care about it. It's got to matter to you enough to, to wrestle and to get to it. Now here's another verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 explaining why this happens. Even if our gospel is veiled, a veil stands between your eyes and what's beyond it. Or even if our gospel is veiled, if there's something between the gospel and our understanding, it is veiled to those who are perishing. An unbeliever looks at the same word that you do, y'all. They look at the same Bible you do and they just say, I'm not moved by this, I don't care about this. You look at that same book and you look at it grasping for truths for your life and you come together every week looking for something in there to help you sustain your faith. Why the difference? Because there's a veil in the unbeliever's face. It's a veil right here and who put it there? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. There's something that Satan has done. Jesus says the enemy comes and snatches away the word that was planted. He just keeps them from understanding it. He keeps them distracted with other things. And for whatever reason, they cannot go from hearing to understanding. Don't be one of those folks. Grapple with it. Reflect on what the Lord is saying, and he'll give you insight into all this. But once you reach second base, then you turn your eyes toward third. And third, he says, is taking root. Taking root means you've rearranged your life to make room for the word to, say, to sit there. It's called dwell. Dwell in your hearts through faith. The word of Christ, dwell in your You give it a place to live. You don't just hear it. You don't just understand it. You rearrange your life to give it a spot to live in. And out of that spot, it starts reordering your life. That's what third base is. But again, guys, the distance between second and third is enormous. Here's why I'm saying this. If right now you're in a pew looking like this, I'm bored out of my mind. I can't stand this. You are stuck between first and second. And it's not the sower's fault. Remember what I told you? It's not the sower's fault. And it's not the seed's fault. It's the soil's fault. I just exonerated myself, right? How do you go from understanding to giving it a chance to take root in your life? And what causes you to stumble between second and third? I just had, a couple days ago, one of, our, one of our kids from Kennett who's at Harding just said, what can I do in my daily life to make my walk real? Because it's not. What can I do to make my walk real? And I'm sitting there going, you went through all of junior high and high school and you don't know the answer to that question? Are we graduating people who go into college and then they reach a point where, you know, I don't know what I need to do each day to nurture my walk with God. What in the world's happening if we graduate a bunch of people who don't know how to feed themselves the Word of God and grow on it? What's happening to us? Well, there's a lot of answers to this. But the thing he says between second and third is this. With no root, when trouble or persecution arises, they stumble. Or the word is, they get offended. 
They're running between second and third, and suddenly they realize that there are people in this world who don't agree with what they're saying. There are things that happen in this life that even though you're living for God, you will have to make a payment for your faith. Do you know why most people get into the faith? You know what motivates them to respond to it? Reward. We get into the faith for the reward. I want heaven. I want an escape from hell. I want the presence of God in my life. And so I come into the faith based on reward. And that works for a while. Get around first, get around second. You start getting winded. And then you start realizing there's a team out here that's trying to defeat me. And then you realize there are costs to the faith. Joel Osteen runs out at second, y'all. My best life now may not be possible. I may not have everything I want. And even though you're living for God, doesn't mean that everything will go hunky-dory for you. It doesn't mean everything will be smooth sailing. It means sometimes the motivation that got you started starts to die because you start realizing the payment you're going to have to make. Do you realize living for God and living according to the Word is going to cost you something sometimes? It's going to put you in spots where you're not treated right? And you're going to sit here for a while and your first response is, what do you mean I'm living for God? I'm living my life right. I'm making stances for God that are right and true. And yet I have to pay for it. And yet I get mistreated for it. And yet even though I'm living my life right according to what pleases God, there are people around me and things that are happening that are unfair and unjust and I'm not treated right. I quit. That's what your temptation is, right? Between second and third. When the by and by reward is overwhelmed by the here and now cost, you have a tendency to trip, fall flat on your face and quit. How in the world do you stay in there? Listen, if you're not here yet, you're going to be. You are going to get disoriented with the faith at some point in time. Everybody does, and young people do, especially in college. You know, they were able to kind of lean on the faith of their parents and their church and their youth group, and then they get to college on their own. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I get a little disoriented. I'm living my best life. I know how to please God, and yet things aren't turning out just great. And they, uh, these opposition faces again, and I'm just stressed out. I just don't know what to do. And I'm almost disoriented with the faith. I thought that if I lived faithful, things would be smooth. You're not reading the Word of God right. Never promised you that. What do you do? I want you to look at James, which I think is a commentary on this. James chapter 1. Look at these verses. Know this, my beloved brothers. Uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The word therefore makes me think that this verse has been misinterpreted a long time. Therefore, put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. There's the seed word. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. When he says quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become. He's not saying you have two ears, so listen twice as much as you talk. A general moral principle. That's not what he's saying. This is what you do with the Word of God, the implanted Word. When you have allowed your disobedience to be put aside and you put the implanted Word in you, it can grow and save you. It can change you. But you've got to have the proper posture, and you know what that is? You be quick to listen to that Word. 
you give it a hearing. You hear that word and you immediately obey. Don't speak so much. Don't object. Don't, don't argue it away. Don't fight with it. Quit, quit protesting it and quit saying, well, I'm, well, it doesn't apply to my life here because my life is special and it's different and the word doesn't appreciate what I was wrong. They can't expect me to forgive this person. And we come up with all these objections for why this doesn't apply to me. Oh yeah, it does. The word applies to every one of us and it means exactly what it says. And it's as tough as it says. It's as hard to do as it promises you. And don't get angry about it. The word here means offended too. Don't read that word and get so offended by what it demands of you that you say, you know, I quit. You've got to push through disorientation and you've got to stay faithful anywho. You've got to stay faithful come what may. And there's a lot of things you're going to have to pay for your faith. It doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right and nobody thinks that you fall. If you're living for God, it should come out smooth sailing. He's control of everything. Yes, he's in charge of everything. But he's not like a bulldozer parent who plows everything out in front of you so that your, tri your road is just smooth and everything goes right for you and everything's beautiful for you. No, God's not like that. He's going to make you fight for the faith. He's always said that. So push through to, to third base. Let it take root. And then you turn toward home. And that's where we're all wanting to go, right? We're all wanting to go home. How do you get home from third? What, what could possibly obstruct you from coming home? One of the worst things that ever happens in a Cardinal game is a leadoff triple. Do you know why? I'm sitting here wondering how they're going to blow this. This should be easy. How many times a leadoff triple and he dies there at third and you're like, how in the world can that happen? All you need is a fly ball or a bunt or something. Guy passes third on a home run trot and that third base coach pats him on the rear, right? He's out. You know why? Because they're considering that assistance of the runner. Or, or maybe he's hit a home run and the whole team's gathered around home plate and instead of being behind home plate, they're in front of home plate and he never reaches home plate and after that great victorious home run, he's out because there's too many obstructions in the way. There's only one thing really between, wow, Taki Root, Taki Root. Weird. Okay, so what, what, after it takes root, how can it keep you from bearing fruit? There's one thing, you choke it. And here's how you choke it. You want to be, you have this goal, I want to be the best actor at school. I want to be the best reader at school. I want to be the best cheerleader. I want to be the beauty pageant contestant. I want, and you have all these things you really want to do. And you realize after a while there's a finite amount of time you got. You can't be the best of all these things. You got to decide which one of these are you going to be mediocre at and which one of these you're going to cut out altogether. There's not enough time to do all the things you want to do and you have to make decisions. And can I tell you something else? Faith demands time too. That practice that makes you a good basketball player, you need about that much practice to be a good Christian, faithful, studious believer. There's not enough time for all that. What are you going to prune back or what are you going to prune out? Too many people who go by applause and for trophies and for the, uh, the applause and the accolades of people, you get that for sports, you get that for some of the academic things you do, but you won't get that for your faith. You won't get that for maturing your faith. The only thing that blesses is your entire life as you root it on a foundation, but until it's tested, you won't know it. And so it's, it's a whole lot attractive for our young people to go for the things they get applause for and to get trophies for. And so they put all their time into that 
<laughs> and in order to have that time, you got to weed out all these other things like faith. And it chokes. I've tried my attempt at gardens before. I didn't have a lot of room in Kennett when we tried it, a little bitty square, and I thought, I want to put this and this and this and this and this, and I planted it all. I planted like eight different things in this little bitty square. You know what happens when you put that much vegetable stuff in a little bitty square? Green onions, not green onions, green, what do you call those other things? peppers. Green peppers grew, but nothing else did. You had the little tomato plants that grew up and just sat there and didn't do anything. Didn't bear any fruit at all. And you had all these other things that came up just a little bit, but they never did anything. And the green pepper in the middle comes up. There's one thing that gets the nutrients and everything else gets robbed of it. There's not enough nutrients in there to support everything. So you've got to weed out some stuff. Church, if you want to be a person who goes from third all the way home, you've got to make faith a priority and not something that gets choked out by every other thing you want to do. It's a decision you have to make. And it's not an easy one. Here's what God has in mind for you. He wants to make you all, take you all the way home. He wants you to make it all the way around. And he wants you to grow and mature. And he wants you to enjoy this journey. But he wants you to make it home. He doesn't want you to do all that stuff and then fall flat before you get there. He wants you to reach home. And there's a lot of people who reach first base. And that's as far as they get. That would be the Pharisees. They heard Jesus and never gave him consideration at all. Pharisees first base. Some of them understand it, but they never took root. That would be all the crowds that followed Jesus. They were amazed at him. They hung on his every word, but they never committed to him. They never changed their life for him, and they died at second base. Then you had those people who, who gave him root in their life, who gave him a big place in their life, but they never produced fruit from it. That would be Judas. All the opportunity and all the commitment that fell short. And then you had those who made it all the way around and were fruitful like the apostles, whose fruit is the New Testament. And from their fruit, we are able to have life. We get to hear and we get to understand and take root in us and us produce fruit in other people. Question, what base are you at? What base are you at? And that's going to answer another question. What's the next challenge to reaching the next one? What's keeping you from the next one? I'm just, it's been described for you this morning. My question is, what base are you at? That's your job. That's your job all along. And I hope you continue processing that because you're at one spot or another and you are responsible for knowing where you are. You're responsible for getting to the next one. It's not the sower's responsibility. It's not the seed's. It is yours to let the seed do it. Question is, where are you and what's the next obstacle that you're going to face? It's right there in the parable. He's trying to bless you and give you a map for your life. And the question is, are you going to use it or not? He wants you to come all the way around to home. And he wants you to arrive there fruitful, not only yourself, but bringing as many other people with you as possible. You can't do that if you don't know where you are. Wherever your next move is, I hope you're planning and plotting how to get there. But for this morning, all I want you to do is identify where you are. And if you need to make a move, if you need to make an adjustment, a big move, a public move to help you move to the next spot, we're here to help you. Whether it's starting that journey with the waters of baptism after you repent or if there's an obstacle that's in your way and you need the prayers of this church to help you remove it, we're here for this. We're here for you. The question is, do you know where you're at?
you need to as we stand and as we sing. Yeah.